Kyle Brandt's Basement is brought to you by Caesar Sportsbook. What say you fuzzy britches? Feel like talking? Welcome to Kyle Brandt's Basement. I'm going to explain in just a little bit why that line is very relevant today. We have a lot to get to. It's a big show. I gotta be honest with you guys, I'm getting out of here with the family for a little while. We're going to warmer destinations, including possibly the happiest place on earth, and the most expensive down there in O-Town, Orlando, Florida. So the Super Bowl's over, Eagles and Chiefs represented the conferences. Let's just get to it right now. I looked it up today, there's 203 days until the next football game, real football game. In that time, we have to decide who is in the best shape to take out either the Eagles or the Chiefs as the kings of their conferences. We'll get into that. We have the passing of a legend who is a very near and dear to me in my own personal way, and maybe yours too, we're going to talk about that. And then if you were in an arena with a bunch of wild animals, which wild animals would you want on your side? That's the thing NFL players are talking about this week, and I'm fascinated by it. Plus, a coach from yesteryear with a lot of uh, memorable sound bites and personal fetishes is back in our lives because looks like he's getting a new job. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about everything. That's what we do here in the basement. We always start with what I love, just what I absolutely hate. And what I find hilarious. Let's start the show! I love predicting the teams that could eventually, months and months and months from now, knock off the Chiefs and the Eagles and represent their conferences in the Super Bowl, which we played in, oh my gosh, Las Vegas, Nevada. That's going to be fun. So let's just get into this. Who do you like right now? I'm not, I'm not making predictions. I'm not doing that thing. We do plenty of that here. Today is just really an analysis, uh, an evaluation, if you will, about where these teams might stand. And uh, let's say 49 weeks from now might be the teams who win the conference championship games. So let's start in the AFC, because that one is much more difficult in a sense, just because there's more talent and the teams are better, but at least we know them. We have the Chiefs, is anybody else going to host the title game next year or are they going to make it six straight? They'll probably make it six straight. But if I have to look at some of the teams right now, as we are just sitting here in the end of February, who do I like moving forward in the AFC? I think we have to start with the Bengals, all right? Here's the deal with the Bengals. They have seven draft picks, including a first, second, and a third. They have one in every round. So you have some free agents who are going to be coming up, maybe leaving Jesse Bates, Von Bell, Samaje P. Ryan, Jermaine Pratt, some key guys on defense. They have money to spend too, and thank God, because they're gonna need it, because I would think this is gonna be the time for the Joe Burrow extension. And it's gonna be massive, we think, we think. Joe Burrow is now three years in, he's been to the Super Bowl, he's been to the title game, he's been incredible. There is really no one short of Patrick Mahomes who deserves more money for what they've shown up and done to that franchise. And yet, there's always this sneaky thing with Burrow that he is kind of marches to a different drummer, has his own sensibilities, certainly his own style. Is he the kind of guy who would say, hold on, I'm going to take less than maybe I could get and I want to build a better team. Would he? Is he an asymmetrical thinker like that? Or is he just going to say, nah, I don't care. I'm going to take everything I could possibly get because he's going to get a lot. So that's going to be the deal with the Bengals. Uh, the coach is there. The quarterback is there. The receivers are there. The, the, the offensive line we think is going to be there. A couple free agents, but they'll draft heavily, maybe on the offensive line again, and maybe on defense. The Bengals are going to be the Bengals next year, even if they start slow like they did 0-2 this year. The Bengals are going to matter, and Bro is likely going to be paid. So they're there. They're not going anywhere for now. Let me get to our friends, the Buffalo Bills. 
Interesting year for them. Um, not money to spend. They went and did that last year. Josh Allen, of course, is already paid for, but his contract starts to change a lot and he starts to get paid a ton more. So this is not going to be the throw money around for Von Miller type thing in the offseason. Set up pretty well in the draft. They got a first, second, third, fourth, and then two fifths, as of now at least, six draft picks overall. The pending free agents, or the key free agents rather, are pretty interesting. Jordan Poyer, who's been amazing and who there's a general sense that he is gone. There was a lot of talk in the playoffs that that was going to be his last run as a Buffalo Bill, so they'll miss him. Devin Singletary, listen, I don't know. I'm not talking to the front office. I would be surprised if Devin Singletary was back. Good player, good guy. Not a special player. Not someone who you say, we can't let Devin Singletary leave. We have to sign him a big extension. I would be surprised if Devin Singletary was back. And then Tremaine Edmonds. Tremaine Edmonds is a guy you do resign. Young, very talented, explosive center of the defense. And just, again, really young. Tremaine Edmonds, you drafted him, same draft class as Josh Allen. This is a guy that you resign. And it's going to be a lot of money because he's a key player on defense. And he's right in the middle in the linebacker. But I think they bring back and I think they extend Tremaine Edmonds. And I don't think they regret it. I expect that will get done. So that's the Bills. They're going to be there. They're going to be the Bills. They're going to win a bunch of games next year. Will they win a bunch of playoff games? We have no idea, but they will be a factor in this thing for sure. You want another third team I want to talk about in the AFC? I'll give you a couple clues. It's a very, very young team that is coming off a season which they made the playoffs, won in the playoffs, and gave the eventual Super Bowl champion a game before they lost. I want to talk about the Jaguars, and I'll do it briefly because people can't tolerate Jaguars talk. I don't care. Jaguars deal. They have eight draft picks. Eight draft picks, the first, second, third, fourth, fourth, fifth, seventh, seventh. They have a lot. They have a relatively cheap quarterback. Lawrence was number one overall, but he's not on that sweet, sweet extension money like Josh Allen's going to be, in which I think Joe Burrow's going to be. Key free agents, Arden Key, Evan Engram. It doesn't break your back as good as Engram was for them. It, you, this, again, young. There is, have some similarities with the Jets in that they have a lot of really good young players on their rookie contracts. The difference being... They have a head coach who's won a Super Bowl, and they have a quarterback who seems to be able to be very good, and they're not sitting around waiting for Carr or Rodgers. The Jaguars are going to matter. The Jaguars were one of the coolest stories of the year. They were sort of them in the AFC, and then another team we're going to get to in the NFC who just came running down the stretch. If I had to pick three teams who could potentially knock off the Chiefs in the AFC, the Bengals are at the top of the list. The Bills have to be there. Remember, the Bills did beat them again in the regular season. And then I like the Jaguars a lot. A couple other teams, sure. But we're going to get to the NFC. NFC is fascinating right now. You know why I love looking ahead in the NFC? Because I think Aaron Rodgers is going to leave it. I think he's going to be gone. Either he retires or he's going to be on the Jets or the Raiders. One of these teams we're talking about. Tom Brady is gone from the NFC. So answer me this. After Jalen Hurts, who's just fantastic in the Super Bowl, who is the best quarterback in the NFC after him? Take Hurts out. Who's your guy? Is it Dak Prescott? Is it Kirk Cousins? Is it a resurgent Matthew Stafford? I don't know who it is. And I, I don't know, so I'm gonna throw this name out. Is it possible it's Jared Goff? Is he at least in that conversation? Because if you scoff at that, then you didn't see him play the last two months of the season. He was excellent, excellent. Up till the end of the year when they went into Lambeau in a game that the Packers badly needed and just smacked him around and Goff won again. I like the Lions. I like the Lions not only because they have a quarterback who's good and he's been there. He's won the conference before. They got draft picks like crazy. They have two firsts, including a top 10 pick, 
two seconds, a third, and then a few other picks. They got a bunch of money to spend. Their key free agents, DJ Chark's pretty good player, I guess. Jamal Williams is an interesting one. He scored a ton of touchdowns, but do you spend money on a guy who was kind of this awesome goal line running back and racked up big stats and is really represents a lot of the attitude of the team? I don't know. Mike Hughes, Evan Brown, good players, but not someone that's going to make or break the season. I like the Lions. I do. And that's weird to say out loud any year, but this year I like it. Love Campbell. I really started to like golf. I like Amon Ross St. Brown. I like a lot of what they have going, but most importantly, they're going to draft a crazy amount of defense, including some premier players in the first round, or they'll package them and they'll move way up and get something insane in the top five. The Lions are set up. And they started winning like crazy. And their quarterback is good. I like the Lions. This team I have to consider just because of their equity that they've developed in the NFC. The 49ers. So interesting. I mean, really interesting. So we don't know who the hell their quarterback's going to be. We don't know if Brock Purdy's going to be ready. If Brock Purdy could start a season as the starter being good. Or if he just kind of got hot and was naive and came in as a rookie and it just worked. And now that everything's settled and people have seen him, is he good anymore? More interesting... Is Trey Lance good? I don't know. You don't know. I don't think Kyle Shanahan knows. He was injured in week two of this season and has played very little football considering he's been around for a couple years right now. And yet is what they traded for him and where they drafted him. It's kind of like he kind of has to get the job. So I don't know what the hell they're up to. Free agents, Garoppolo is going to be gone. Mike McGlinch, the offensive lineman. Manuel Mosley, uh, Samson Ekubom, uh, Epicom, a couple other guys. Bosa's not leaving, Kittle's not leaving, Warner's not leaving. They got a little bit of money to spend. The Niners are going to be a factor. Their coach is so good and their defense will be good. I know they lost to Miko, but their defense will still be good. And then lastly, I have to put the New York Giants in as a team that could potentially win the NFC. They did struggle greatly against Philadelphia. Three times, in fact, and they got just smacked in the playoffs. But they're interesting. Nine draft picks, including a first, a second, and two-thirds. A ton, ton of money to spend. If not the most in the league, then right up there. So they'll be active in free agency, but their activity is going to be right there in-house. Daniel Jones is going to be back. We know that. And I've pulled my hair out all season long talking about how much he should be back for, if he should be back at all. It's frustrating because, of course, he should be their starter next year because he played well, and he played really well in one of their playoff games. But the price, it's just please, please, New York Giants, do not bend and give some crazy $40 million a year to Daniel Jones. And then Saquon. I don't think they should bring Saquon back, and I've said that many times, and I love him as a person, and he's my favorite runner to watch in the entire league. He's hurt a lot. When he's good, he is great, but he's hurt a lot, and he is an aging running back, and there's a lot of guys out there who can give you cheap labor and good production that do not cost what Saquon would cost to bring back. I wouldn't bring him back. The Giants are in the mix, though. Brian Dable just won Coach of the Year. I ran into him at NFL Honors. We had an amazing conversation. He is disarmingly cool and congenial, and just awesome. I found myself smiling ear to ear talking to him, and I really have never met him in person. I just absolutely loved him. I can see why the players play hard for him. Those are my three NFC teams that I think have the best shot, or at least the most intrigue, in knocking off those Philadelphia Eagles. The Lions, the Niners, and then I like the Giants. But the NFC, who the hell knows? The, the war map in the NFC is much cloudier because we just don't know who's good at quarterback, and we don't know where anyone's going to go in the draft. But I like those three teams. In fact, I love those three teams. Let's get something to a little, I'm a little heavy hearted though about this. Let's get to what I hate.
I hate the passing of Raquel Welch. I saw the news yesterday. Raquel Welch passed away in her home in Los Angeles. And uh, she was, you know, I believe she was in upper 70s. She had lived a fairly long life. Uh, do you know who Raquel Welch is? Raquel Welch, she may be before your time if you're not aware of her. Raquel Welch is kind of a piece of Hollywood royalty. And she goes back to the 60s as an actress, a pinup girl, bombshell, sex symbol, whatever you may call it, uh, but had a really, really long career and is a pioneer in a million ways. But it's personal to me because I'll just put it out there, cards on the table. Raquel Welch is my all-time number one celebrity crush. All-time. Number one. Uh, I have many. We all do. Ones we had when we were little, ones we kind of look at now when we're older. Raquel Welch, I was just such a massive fan of her. And um, it's an interesting thing because I don't think I've ever seen a movie that she was in except for Naked Gun 33 and a third that she was in. But still, I looked at her as someone who was so ahead of her time. So ahead of her time. In the sense that, understand that Raquel Welch was a knockout, gorgeous, statuesque bikini model, effectively, in the 60s. <laughs> not the 80s, not the 70s. She looked like women look on Instagram today as influencers when Lyndon Johnson was president. Just way ahead of her time. Complete bombshell. You did not look around and see people like that, and people couldn't believe it. And if you look into some of her history, she would show up in these in these movies and million years BC or whatever it was called, or she would do a spot on some TV show or she auditioned to be on Gilligan's Island and people just couldn't believe what they were looking at. I personally had my first time I was uh, able to see Raquel Welch and what she was and what she represented historically was probably the same as a lot of people in my generation. I was introduced to her through Shawshank. So Andy Dufresne is doing his prison stretch and he starts, you know, chopping at the wall and he needs a poster. Well, first he goes with Rita Hayworth, and then as he gets there years and years and years, then he goes with Marilyn Monroe, and then finally, when it's his time for his exodus, as Red says, it was lovely Raquel. And Raquel Welch is the one who's up there, the poster of her, over the hole that he digs, and then when finally when the warden finds him, and he starts losing it, and about where is he, and he says, what say you fuzzy britches feel like talking? And he throws the chest piece, and it goes through the poster, and there's the hole and everything. But listen, Andy knew what was up back in the day at Shawshank Prison. He knew that Raquel Welch was special. I think he had, she, she got him through some tough times in there and she covered up what he was doing. Incredible. But I think that made her like, for when I was, I saw Shawshank when I was 15 and I was like, who the hell is that? Is this a real person? What is Morgan Freeman talking about? Who is Raquel? And there was no internet at the time because the movie came out in 94. I didn't know how the hell to look her up. But then I came in college to realize like this was this amazing beauty back in the 60s. I would give her an athletic comp or a sports comp of Dr. J. Like just kind of changed the game. No one played like he did. No one dunked like he did. He had the cool afro and the headband. And it was like, wow, basketball is just wildly changed. And I think that... Raquel Welch became famous in some ways infamous in the 60s and then just started showing up in movies and if you really read some of the stuff about her you know she was not there because of her uh, prolific acting talent and I think she was always kind of cool with that she wasn't someone who was exploitative like in her personal life there's not a lot of really um, 
juicy exposés or articles about all the things that she went through, but think of it like Raquel Welch in the 60s was like Pamela Anderson in the 90s, except I think significantly more refined and uh, a little above like the sort of celebrity factor of it. Also like kind of a, a little bit of a Kardashian vibe in the late 2000s, Again, mostly just because they're so visually striking and you feel like you're watching some sort of new movement in, in, in fashion and in fame, in fame, appearance-based fame. And I just I remember seeing it. I'm like, I cannot believe that must have blown people's minds in the 60s because she looks like someone who you would see on the cover of like some magazine now and just an all-time, all-time beauty who everything I've read says conducted her life with grace and class and um, interesting life too. She was married a few times. At one point was married to the founder of Mulberry Street Pizza here in New York. Mulberry Street is like a landmark pizza place that you would go if you're a local, I guess, but also like if you're a tourist that comes into town and you wanna bring someone to like get New York pizza, you might go to Mulberry Street. Can you imagine the guy who started that joint, put the pizza place, like a landmark pizza place in New York City, and also married Raquel Welch from Andy Dufresne's prison cell? Incredible, incredible thing. So I don't know who your number one all time just crushes, if it's a guy, if it's a girl, whoever it is. Listen, when I was a kid, I remember having a huge crush on Vanna White because we would watch uh, Wheel of Fortune when I was a kid, and then it's changed throughout the years. I loved um, Nicole Eggert from Charles in Charge. That's why she made the mural. I love Tiffany Amber Thiessen. Eh, who, who, we all have her own. Number one, Raquel Welch. So she passed away, lived a full life, Hollywood legend in a lot of ways. Everybody loves Marilyn, and she, I love Raquel. Sorry to see the news. Sad to see the news, huge fan of her, and uh, rest in peace, Raquel Welch. You made the show, I hate that we're talking about it, but man, love that Raquel Welch. Let's move on to what's hilarious. All right, you know what's hilarious? <laughs> so the football season's over. What are we gonna do? I mentioned it, 203 days, however many weeks, however many months until there's real football again. Well, we got off to a, a great start in a football-involved, uh, ridiculous, stupid internet discussion that I find awesome. I imagine you will too. We see some of these from time to time. It's kind of in the vein of the, would you rather fight a horse-sized duck or you know, 10 duck-sized horses? Those stupid things. So there's a survival, let's call it a thought experiment, and the NFL players are starting to react to it, and we're certainly going to do the same here. A man by the name of Sahil Bloom had a tweet that everyone was reacting to. Here it is. Hear me out. You are in an arena, all right? So let me set the stage for you. You're in an arena. The way he says arena, I look at it as... Uh, like a basketball place, like a basketball stadium. It's closed dome. Like it's not an open stadium. We're not doing this at Lambeau Field. It's an arena. It's not a stadium. So wherever you are, think of what used to be Staples Center in LA, or let's say it's Madison Square Garden, the world's most famous arena. And he says, you're in that arena with, listen to the menu, 50 hawks, 10 crocodiles, three brown bears, 15 wolves, one hunter with rifle, seven buffalo, 
10,000 rats, which some arenas might actually have, five gorillas, and four lions. Did you get all that? It's everything from hawks to hunters to rats to lions. His challenge, you pick two to defend you. In other words, you say, I want the buffalo and I want the brown wolves. And then the others will all attack you. The goal is to survive for one hour. So this is the sort of Lord of the Flies, Hunger Games, Bat Bleep Insane, when animals attack meets the Revenant type deal here. You gotta live for an hour. What do you get if you live for an hour? He doesn't say. You get to live. He wants to know what do you pick and why. All right, so immediately you gotta jump into this because everyone has takes. Before we get to mine, let me offer some of the NFL takes that have been out there, all right? Ravens linebacker Patrick Queen, who I love and whose favorite Avenger is Hawkeye, take that for what you will, you would think he'd probably pick the Hawks, right? No! Patrick Queen went with the 10,000 rats and the five gorillas, and then he put a fire emoji next to it. All right, so I just want to say this from the get-go. 10,000 is a lot of rats. Like, 100 rats is a lot. That's so many rats. 10,000 rats? I think I would have gone with 1,000, but 10,000 and then five gorillas. If we're talking about, let's just say silverbacks here, wildly strong, intimidating, fierce animals. So he's got Patrick Queen, Ravens linebacker, he's got his rats and his gorillas, and he feels like, I got this, I can survive for an hour. I guess they have an advantage as a pro athlete because they can also run really fast and they're strong, that will help their survival, but let's not hold that against them. Next, Lamar Jackson. <laughs> wow, Lamar's in too, okay. Also with the 10,000 rats, Lamar went with 50 hawks. I also just love that like Lamar may never play for the Ravens again. We have no idea what he's doing. We have no idea what the progress is with his contract. No idea. And he won't give us any idea. And he doesn't have an agent. And he doesn't appear to have a publicist. And he's coming out talking about, I want rats and hawks in the arena. This is the only bit of information we get from Lamar Jackson and you can dissect it. Is he telling us something? Is he calling the Ravens rats? Is he picking hawks because he's gonna fly away and he's the hawks are superior birds to the Ravens? Does this mean something, Lamar? Or does he just think he could survive the longest with the rats and the hawks? That's the only communication we get from Lamar these days. It's great. Also rats. Next, Mikol Hardman, who is a Super Bowl champion despite not playing in the game. All right, Mikol's, I like more Mikol's saying. He says, you gotta choose the hunter with the rifle because if you don't, he's just gonna shoot you from long range. It's a good point. Remember that whoever you don't pick is attacking you. So he says the hunter and probably the lions. I like Nicole Hardman's picks. Um, I'm gonna say this right now. I'm gonna get in here and then we'll get into some of the analysis. Uh, I agree with Nicole Hardman. You have to have the hunter. The hunter is on my side because first of all, he's just the most intelligent, He's someone you can talk to, you can come up with a strategy with. I can't talk to the hawks or the rats or the gorillas or whatever. Secondly, I would like a little more information. What kind of rifle does he have? Does it have a scope? Is it an assault rifle? Is it a sniper rifle? How powerful of a rifle is it? In other words, like when the gorillas come at us, could he take down the gorillas like Harambe? You know, or is it gonna be like a 22 and it's some little pop gun and we're going to be screwed and I, you know, I should have picked the buffaloes. I would like some information about the rifle, but I'm just going to assume since there's only one of them, it's going to be pretty powerful. It's going to be scoped and it's going to do a good job. But again, if I'm going to be in this animal thing, 
I'm going to be losing my mind. Can we get the tweet down? Uh, I'm going to be losing my mind. Um, I also want someone who I can, I can commiserate with. Like if I'm being torn apart by the lions, like it would be nice to have a person there just to have a little eye contact with, a little human connection. I'd like to go down with another human. I'm assuming this person's going to be, you know, congenial, English speaking. So I'd go with this hunter without a doubt. You have to do the hunter. He can kill things from really far away, and he's the only creature in the battle who can. Also, to Nicole Harbin's point, if I don't have the hunter and he's attacking me, can't he just snipe me from the rafters from 50 feet away, or 500 feet away, rather? I know, I'm getting the hunter. That, to me, is a no-doubter. Um, the problem is the second pick. Now, the 10,000 rats are really a popular pick, but how do you know they don't immediately disperse? I don't know if rats kind of collaborate like zombies in World War Z and work together and swarm and attack like I need them to. How do I know when the rats are unleashed? And that's 10 grand of rats. They don't just go disperse and looking for like pieces of old hot dogs or popcorns. I, I, they're rats. They're not to be trusted and they're survivors. So I think the rats, if anything, might be adverse to the confrontation. They might run away from the lions when Crap, I got how many lions? Uh, it's four lions. So I got 2,500 rats per lion. That seems sufficient if they could attack the eyes and just, just bite the crap out of the lions. But I can't trust that they're going to do it. I don't know if they know how to arm up. And like, again, no strategy. I can't communicate with the rats. I'm actually out on the rats. And then the hawks, 50 hawks, like I'm going to own the air. And I'm going to have, I'm going to death from above. But again, are, are they gonna are, do hawks? Are they gonna attack lions? I, I need them to literally dive bomb buffaloes and wolves. I don't know if they're in on that. So I'm out on the hawks. Plus, they don't provide a lot of killing power. They have the talons and stuff. But so as like a bear or a lion, you can kill you in two seconds. They don't provide a lot of killing power. I am attracted to the wolves because I know the wolves' role as a crew. The strength of the pack is the wolf, and the strength of the wolf is the pack. And they're hunters, naturally, they have powerful bites. And I'm not talking some little scrawny coyotes. I'm talking wolves, big ones, like the gray with Liam Neeson. The, the, like the, the Red Riding Hood wolf, the blow the pig's house down wolf. I like the wolves, and then I mean lions are lions, four of them. Do you think the four lions could beat the five gorillas? I don't. So why aren't I picking the gorillas? I'm gonna go with my gut here. I'm gonna go with the hunter and the wolves. Kind of old fashioned. And someone will tell me why this is stupid, but I don't care. Let's get into some reaction and then I wanna get super producer Michael Flynn's reaction. I, before I see this reaction, before I hear his, I'm going hunter and I'm going 15 wolves. What do the people have to say? These are some people, Sahil himself, the guy who posed the question, the, the, the genius, he says, 50 hawks and the 10,000 rats seems like a viable and powerful combo. I disagree. He says, you could send out 10 hawks to swarm the hunter and then put rats on the backs of the other 40 hawks to create a massive aerial attack on other animals. You'd still have over 1,000 rats to form a wall of protection. Sahil, have you ever seen a rat? They don't just ride passengers on a hawk like it's Falcor in the never-ending story. You can't count on them for anything. When someone is untrustworthy and betrays you, they're known as a rat. There's rats that are going to turn around and attack you. I don't want to be on Team Rat. Now, you might say, what am I going to do? The hunter, how is the hunter going to shoot 10,000 rats? He's not. And the wolves are not going to eat 10,000 rats. I don't think, I think the rats are going to go rogue. I don't agree with the rat choice. 
They're not trained killers. They're scavengers. They're looking for food. They're not looking to fight. Next, Sahil, I, I, I like the, the question. I don't like your answer. This guy, Tommy, says, 50 hawks to carry you above the arena front. Stop. The hawks aren't picking you up. Have you ever seen a hawk? It's not gonna, it's not like in a cartoon. No, he also says the hunter, and I agree, I'm with the hunter. I'm out on the hawks though. Anybody else? Danny, this guy Danny says, making big leaps in a, here we go. Danny, my man, whoever you are. He says, making big leaps and assumptions that the rats can fight and defend as a coordinated horde and that they can work with the hawks. You're damn right. Terrible leaps, awful assumptions. He says, form a cocoon defending you while swarming the hunter, then hawks drop rats onto all the other opponents. Come on. Now, and when we get into the cartoonish teamwork that the, you know, the, the 50 hawks are gonna pick up one gorilla and drop the gorilla on top, it's not happening, guys. It's gonna be a melee. It's gonna be an absolute wily e. coyote cloud of teeth and claws. There's no gonna be any of this from the top rope. And then here's this, of course, because of course, whoever is draws their salary from the Buffalo Wild Wings Foundation or a corporation to run their social media has to get in. And the Buffalo Wild Wings official Twitter account says, give me the Buffalo. I don't know about the rest. <laughs> that is just so funny. I love it. Hilarious stuff. Go to Buffalo Wild Wings and have their wings. I'm sure they're delicious. I like the hot ones. So... I feel anti-rat. Anti I don't see a lot of love for the wolves, but I feel like they have the mental makeup that I'm looking for. Survivors, scavengers, teamwork, vicious, attackers, fighters, and they're, they, like I can see three wolves pulling down one lion and being like, yeah, we just took out a lion, that's what we do, we're wolves. Let's get a lion in here. Uh, Michael Flynn, you've heard my thoughts, you've seen the NFL players' thoughts, you've seen the general public's thoughts, you're in the arena, let's call it Madison Square Garden, effectively your home arena. Um, what would you do? And what do you think about what I've been saying here? You, I hadn't thought of the actual, what the arena looks like, but the fact that yeah. it's actual a basketball arena made me maybe switch it up a little bit. Uh, the Hawks, I want to just go just line by line here. The Hawks, people are taking the most liberties with the Hawks. Half of the people yeah. are posing this Ratatouille style attack plan where the rats are on top of the hawks and with the hair that, yeah that, that that's not how they work and the other people are thinking that the hawks are the Lord of the Ring eagles that just show up and whisk you all around the arena that's yeah. not something that happens like I'm out on hawks these aren't Nobody, magical hawks I feel like no. you'd be in the fight and the hawks no. would be up in the rafters by the stupid fish banner or you know Patrick Ewing's retired number and they'd, you'd be like Get down here! We're, we're, I'm fighting lions! And they'd be like, nah, we're building a nest. Like, I, I'm out on the hawks. Exactly. I agree. Uh, crocodiles, absolutely nobody is saying. There's no water in there. Even if they're those gigantic crocodiles that you see mm -hmm. on the golf courses, out. these other animals scare me more. Uh, brown bears, like, scary, but also I feel like they get preoccupied with other things and maybe wouldn't necessarily be chasing after me. Uh, I'm with you. I'm I'm with you on wolves. Wolves are terrifying. Let's go. I I even on my internet tabs here have IMDb the gray up because I wanted to surprise you with it. But of course you had that. Uh, wolves, <laughs> wolves, wolves go in a pack. They're fast. I think they can jump a little bit, so they can maybe climb around an arena. Uh, scary hunter with rifle. Uh, you make a lot of sense. Sahil had one clarification. He was asked what kind of rifle. He said yeah. one shot at a time. Oh, a bolt action but, 
Uh, all right, so he's got to do the the Lee Harvey Oswald thing, and like like so he's gonna have to be highly trained. It sounds old fashioned. I was hoping for some like badass like Bradley Cooper American Sniper thing that he could just set up. I don't think it's gonna be that. All right. It's not, but still, he's he's somebody with a human brain, or she's somebody with a human brain who can work along with you. And again, you can't sick most of these other any of these other animals on that hunter they just have to get yeah. it naturally uh buffalo i don't know how buffalo attack i'm not scared of that uh only rats seven. is scary yeah <laughs> only seven buffalo uh rats is scary uh, especially if, if you live in new york you've seen a whole lot of them uh if you've seen the movie willard they're terrifying uh mm. i so i go back and forth on them uh Gorillas, no. I uh, don't know. I would love to hear Patrick Queen's uh, thinking on that one. Uh, I, I think, Flynn, I think the gorillas has a say in this. Like, I, they're at the table for sure. Just massively powerful. I think they might roll as a crew, like wolves. Like, I'm not frowning on the gorilla one. Like, I, I, I have you ever seen, like, all right, so we're, we keep referencing these dumb movies. So there's a movie called Instinct with Cuba Gooding and Anthony Hopkins, which is terrible. <laughs> But the gorillas are really scary. Or even if you've seen all of these like Planet of the Apes movies that like with James Franco, I you don't think the gorillas because they also they beat their chest and they pound like I think there's an intimidation factor too. I, I, I'm the gorillas I think may have a say. You're right. I'm also just not used to seeing them out in the wild, straight on attacking people. Is that something that yeah. they do? I don't know that they'd be into attacking me if I'm not attacking them. And well, then. Didn't Harambe help the kid that fell down there? Like, Harambe was a gentle gorilla, right? So, I don't know, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and then lions. I think lions get kind of lazy, too. I also don't know that they'd be okay. chasing after me. Uh, so, I am definitely going with wolves. I am with you. I see them running rampant all around the arena. And I think I agree with you. Sorry that it's boring, but I stick with the hunter, too, just because it's someone with a human brain. Does your pick change at all, knowing that it's a one-shot-at-a-time rifle? No, because he could he could seek shelter and he could have some sort of like he could get in the concession stand and he could go higher ground like he can think like a person. He's not a right. dumb buffalo out there just getting torn to bits by 10,000 <laughs> rats. He's going to surround himself and I'm going to be with him like I'm behind him. I think you bring up a great point. Um, lions, you ever go to a zoo and see the lions? We have them here in the Bronx Zoo by me. They're, they sleep 23 hours a day. They're constantly lying around doing nothing. So unless you got them in that one hour of the day, and it is a one hour thing where they're like ravenously hungry, they're gonna be useless. Crocodiles are scary and everything, but also lethargic as hell, just sit around doing nothing. So it's you want that active thing. The wolves, bears, like if they're awake, but I feel very comfortable with my pick. I think the number one turning point in this whole thing, it's very seductive to see the number 10,000 next to the rats. It's just so many rats. It would take up the entire Nick's floor, like it would be like a tarp over it of rats. But all they're doing is relatively small bites compared to the other things out there. And I just don't think they're ready to fight. I think they're out of there. So I, I, I'm not going with the rats. No, I agree with you. I think the strategy is to go up as high as possible with the hunter 
stay together, uh, lock all the doors on your way up, and just hope that the rats can't reach you and the hawks aren't flying and trying to peck out your eyes. Because I think at that point, if you're that high and the wolves are on your side, only the hawks and the rats have a chance at getting... What are we talking about? <laughs> you know what? And after you do it, I think you go to the Buffalo Wild Wings and you get yourself some honey Cajun wings and a few nice tall... Uh, What's those beers with the orange shock top with the guy who has a mohawk? Yeah. <laughs> you get some of those. All right, Flynn, you and me, um, separately, of course, with the hunter and our, and our 15 wolves. And God bless us all. Yeah, I will uh, see you in a little bit. All right, let's go to takes on takes. We'll, we'll, uh, this, we could continue to do this throughout. I hope that some of these guys have takes on the arena, but it'll probably be something else. Takes on takes, roll it. I would have included a snake entry. Rattlesnakes or something like that. People are afraid of snakes and they make the conversation more interesting. But the conversation is always interesting in takes on takes. Not snakes on snakes, takes on takes. I have numbers, we have takes, I judge them. It's a competition between two combatants and whoever gets the higher score in a score based on delivery, creativity, and heat will win. Last time we did this, we had our first ever 10 and it was Stephen A. Smith before the Super Bowl and it was a gorgeous take, but, um, Let's get to it right now. First up, a first time combatant in takes on takes, Rob Ninkovich, a Super Bowl champ, a former Patriot, making his debut on ESPN's Get Up, talking about the holding call on James Bradbury at the end of the Super Bowl. Welcome to Takes on Takes. Ninkovich, go ahead. I hated that call. I mean, I hated that call at that moment in the game because obviously it decided the game there for Kansas City. So you look at the, the game as a whole, that being the only holding call that they have that they threw a flag on, you're telling me that the pass rushers, the offensive, defensive linemen, the guys that are trying to get to the quarterback weren't held? You could, you, you could basically break down every play and say, okay, there's holding here, there's holding there. But to call it yeah. in that instance, it's, it's a tough call. That's a tough flag to swallow considering, you know, basically it sets up Kansas City to run the clock out, no time left, kick the field goal, game over. So... I just don't like it. I mean, as a linebacker, it's really, really hard to, to cover those snag routes. You, you get a little handsy, but the receiver also, they put their hands on the defender and they're trying to break free from you. So to grab a little bit, that, that's, that's a tough one. And what I would really, what you really want to do as a, as a linebacker and a d defensive back, okay. if you have white sleeves on, you don't wear dark gloves, especially if you're going against a white jersey team. You wear white gloves. If you have your hand there and it's on a white jersey, they don't throw the flag. Oh, look, at you can see his hands like a bullseye, like a target. Oh, look, my hand's right here on your back. Throw the flag. Oh. All right, that took a jump. I liked it. I, I, was, I was listening, and I liked that he came out and said that he hated the call. It's just, you know, strong take right out of the gates. But then he was kind of just going through like the the Cliff's Notes version of that you could call at any time and everything. And and I respect Ninkovich, but I didn't have a great score for him or anything. He's had better takes. And then, see, this is great. Then he says, you got to wear white gloves to go against white uniforms and white sleeves, whereby there's a chameleon effect in which maybe the official doesn't see your hand as much. I've never heard that. Never. I just missed that take. He says the dark gloves, you can see it so much clearer. So Ninkovich would say, 
that Bradbury should have thought, being a veteran, all right, I'm going against a team. It's been everywhere online that the Chiefs will be wearing the green jerseys this weekend while we wear, or the white jerseys rather, while we wear the green ones. And I've looked at some film on some of these receivers like Juju, who I might have to cover, he wears white sleeves. So I'm gonna go white gloves so as to blend in and maybe get away with the holding call. That's veteran stuff, veteran perspective. I think that stuff really goes on, I do. Um, <laughs> that's pretty amazing. It, it reminds me of sometimes white teams wear the white uniforms in the snow, like that um, the Bills-Bengals game, the, the Bengals had the white ones on and they're in the snowfall and does it make an advantage? There's all kinds of things. That was an interesting nugget right there that I had not thought of before. So that kicked him up to a seven. I'm going to give Rob Ninkovich a seven in his Takes on Takes debut. Even if he had just come on and they said, Ninkovich, what would you think? He said, how do you wear uh, the dark gloves? Wear white gloves. Next time, no better. And he just spoke for five seconds. He would still get a seven. Because I never considered that. And everyone in the world has talked about that call. And he's the only person I've heard saying that. Ninkovich, you got a seven. Another debut. Bart Scott. Bart Scott. All right, I've worked with him before. No Bart a little bit, but I've never worked with him in takes on takes because he's never been on it. Bart Scott, also on Get Up, asked whether the Jets, okay, get ready. This is a really well-known Jet. I think you could call him an iconic Jet. He really stood for something and great soundbite and good player. Bart Scott, your, your thoughts on whether the New York Jets should sign quarterback Derek Carr. Come on, son. Just <laughs> look at that. Ah, come on. Is, is, that, is that how far we've come in New York, man? We, 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 we go for the safe bet. Or are we swinging big, man? This is the team that brought over Brett Favor, correct? Like, come on, man. Like, listen, it's a, it's a Derek Carr equivalent out there. I mean, I understand Derek Carr may be the best of the others, but if I'm swinging, I'm swinging for the fences. Like, so like, put the pressure. I mean, you, you, you hired this damn favorite guy, Nathaniel Hackett, right? And I don't see him really going to, to the Raiders because I don't think Aaron Rodgers – it's the type of guy that's going to follow a guy that broke up with him. Remember, Devontae Adams said, I want to go play with my best friend. His best friend got fired. So you have to live in that decision. I'm not about to come and, and come thirst trap chase you, Devontae Adams, after you broke up with me. Forget all that. So I don't think the Raiders is as big of a, a shot as people think. Because I think, you know, when you talk about, you know, alpha males, I don't see Aaron Rodgers saying, I'm going to follow you after you broke up with me and, and, the, and the Green Bay Packers offer you the same amount of money. So, I mean, if I'm the Jets, I'm going swing. I'm swinging big. Nine. That's a nine. That was good. It was tight. He didn't go on too long. He immediately got into the personality and the, the panache of it all, which, come on, man. Come on. He speaks with total credibility. It's a perfect topic for him as a former New York Jet and as a former New York Jet who didn't have great quarterbacks. I'm not sure why he called Brett Favre Brett Favor. I know that's what they said when they drafted him, but I don't care. It was still kind of intrigued by it. And I just thought he was going to say, no, no, who cares? Don't go for Derek Carr. That's just a safe bet. We don't do safe bets here in New York. And that would have been strong. But then he got into the Raiders part of it and said, oh, I went to go play with my best friend. And Aaron Rodgers is going to go with someone who broke up to him to go play with an inferior quarterback and then said he got to the Hall of Fame the second he got there. I added that. Um, that was good, Bart Scott. That was a nine. A nine is rarely achieved here in the segment. Certainly never in a debut. So Bart Scott wins going away. That is That's takes on takes. Bart, great job. I also just think it speaks to this normally unspoken and this time directly spoken sense amongst current and formal players that Derek Carr is not that guy. 
I have spoken to some. I know how they feel. Good player, good guy, good teammate. Not someone that you are losing a wink of sleep about the night before the game. He is a good guy, and he is just not that guy. So Bart Scotch just pretty much came out and said it. There are, he said there are Derek Carr comps out there. You can get a Derek Carr if you want to. There are not Aaron Rodgers comps. That was really good. Bart Scott, haven't seen you in a while. Full respect. Love you. You just got your first dub. Nine to seven. Great takes on takes. I love it. Let's get into something we call Brant Awareness. Come on. Uh, what are you hunting for in your uh, headlines today that we didn't cover on the top of the show? Yeah, we've got a uh, interesting quarterback quote. Justin Fields appeared with the guys on Pardon My Take and speaking about Chicago weather said, quote, it is very difficult to adjust to it, especially with the wind. I hope we get a dome, end quote. Kyle, you're from Chicago. Your thoughts? Yeah. Well, a lot of thoughts. I, I think it's just an unbelievably candid, honest response. I don't know any quarterback who, if they're being totally honest, who wouldn't want to play in a dome especially the way things are now with the offenses and their pass heavy. I, I don't think they would ever say, I want to play next to Lake Michigan in huge lake effect, cold weather and massive wind. And that includes Justin Fields, who played his college football in Columbus that is also cold and windy, but it's not like Chicago. It's, it's tricky to play there for sure. And I think you contrast it with when we had Josh on here and we were talking about some of the guys on the Libertard show were saying that uh, you know, it's that, stupid that the Buffalo games are outside and they should put a dome and it's so dumb and how cold, how much weather there is there. And Josh had an opportunity to say, yeah, you know, it is tough. They should build a, build a dome. But he went completely the opposite way and said that's a soft take and football should be played outdoors. So he went that way. Fields just said, yeah, I, I love that they build a dome. Um, so I, I don't blame him for the honesty at all. I don't jump on this take that, I mean, if anybody is sitting here saying that he is uh, soft or that he... Um, can't cut it in the conditions. I mean, if you watch Justin Fields over the last two years, just get the absolute hell kicked out of him on every inch of that field or any field that he's playing on, he is, is one of the toughest athletes that I've seen in years. Um, he, the conditions are hard, for sure. And he is like this great athlete who has a lot of talents and sometimes some of the conditions mitigate that talent. This is not a new topic in Chicago either. There's this thing where people in Chicago going back to you know, the 80s and the old days where when it's cold and windy and rainy and snowy, they like to say, well, this is bear weather. Well, that sounds great, but it's not Butkus and Singletary coming through that door. It's a modern offense with passing. And they used to say that like when Mike Martz was running the show and it was Jay Cutler trying to throw downfield to Brandon Marshall and Al Alshon Jeffrey. It's like, you don't want bear weather, guys. You want fair weather. That's this, that we don't have sweetness running behind Matt Suey like it's 1984. The game has changed. And Justin Fields is a vision of that change. So I don't, I don't crush him at all. There's also this whole thing about I'm a nostalgist for Chicago and I grew up going to Soldier Field and the pillars and the lakefront and everything. There is a lot of people, not just in the Bears organization, who are not against the move to the suburbs at Arlington Heights, who do not look at it as blasphemy, who say Soldier Field is impossible to get to, the wind conditions are terrible, it's an antiquated stadium, it's small. Like This idea that it's just going to be this horrible thing if they ever leave Soldier Field you may feel that way. There's a lot of people in Chicago who do not feel that way, and it sounds like Justin Fields is among them. His game would probably be better if he was in a dome. 
I don't know what quarterback right now playing in 2023 would not like 72 degrees and no wind rather than 12 degrees and a 30 mile an hour wind. So candid statement from him of which there are not many. And um, I don't know, I respect it and I see what he's coming from. I'm never gonna criticize a guy for just saying like, yeah, if you're asking me, of course I'd rather be in a dome. So that's where I come out. You talked about it a lot there, but is there a divide between maybe old school Chicagoans and new school Chicagoans where you mentioned Josh, when we posted that clip, everybody was like, that's yeah. my quarterback. That's why he belongs in yeah. Buffalo. Is there a portion of that fan base that is going to be like, this is not our guy if he's not going to be able to play in bad conditions in Soldier Field? I think so, maybe, because here's the thing they're not getting a dome. They're not gonna do it. Like, it's always gonna be there. I look at it this way. It's a good question, Flynn, because my younger brother lives in Chicago and he's 11 years younger than me. And he looks at things differently. He just has a different relationship with the team. He has a younger perspective than me. He's all for the new stadium. He's all for the move. And, you know, the Fields thing is fascinating, the timing of this quote, because there's all this hubbub about, hold on a second. Are we sure the Bears are not gonna draft a quarterback? Because there's this thing where they have the number one pick, trade fields, take a number one quarterback, take Bryce or whoever you want, then you restart the period which which you don't have to give him a contract extension. Justin Fields has been awesome running the ball. He's not been great passing it. He throws a lot of interceptions at the end of the game. And I think Schrager said it um, perfectly this morning. You lost, I think it was 12 games in a row. You have the worst team in the league, the number one pick. There is no one who is sacred if you're the worst team in the league. So I am pro fields. I want to say that directly. I think he's done incredible things under ridiculously difficult circumstances. And I think they stick with them. And I think they draft a ton of defense and offensive line this year and they trade the pick. So I, I don't care what he says about the conditions. I've seen him be so tough and keep his mouth shut and never point at his lineman. So I'm pro fields. I hope they stick with him. I agree with you. I'm pro fields too. Moving on. Your colleagues, Ian Rappaport, Mike Garfolo, reporting that Rex yeah. Ryan, a top candidate for the Broncos defensive coordinator position under Sean Payton. Rex has been with ESPN since being fired by the Bills in 2016. Hasn't been a coordinator though since 2008. Do you think he'd be successful in Denver? Let's go get a bleep bleep snack. Rex is back. I, it's such a throwback. It's, I never thought this would happen again because he's got a good TV job. He's kind of born to be on TV. Here, I think it's more of a commentary on Sean Payton than I do on Rex Ryan. Sh Sean Payton's just going to do whatever the hell he wants. It's going to be that way, and it started already. Very surprising decision to go with Rex Ryan. It'd be like if he also, like, he's going Rex Ryan to do the defense, and a Norv Turner is going to run the offense. Like, great guys, but just, you know, it's been a while. Everyone's looking for the young guy. I also think that Payton is like, I'm setting up shop here. I want my contemporaries. I have plenty of offensive acumen. I don't need to go find some McVay type. I want guys who are going to be here late, who are, I can relate to, who are not these 29-year-old, 32-year-old assistants. I want my guy. And I mean, I don't know if Rex, if Rex still has it. Is he the first time the Broncos go to Arrowhead? Did the Chiefs hang 48 points on him? Does Rex can he coach him up still, sitting in the TV studio with Samantha Ponder and Et Al for all these years? I don't know, but I know this, uh, as a spectator, Rex is one of the truly great characters that we've had in the last 25 years as a head coach. Comes into this press conference when he gets hired by the Jets and says to the New York media, I'm not here to kiss Belichick's rings. <laughs> it's, it's great. The, the man had a personal foot fetish video with his wife get leaked to the public and the New York Post is running video caps of it. 
is insane. So I love that Rex is coming back to the party. I want Rob back to the party too. I need both the Ryan's bros on their, their double bicycle coming back. It's more of a commentary of Sean Payton that he will not bow to convention. He's gonna do it his way, right or wrong, and I'm already so excited. I stand by what I said a week or two ago that I want this team as the Hard Knocks team. Uh, we looked it up this ah. morning. They're, they are not eligible for Hard Knocks. Uh, but yeah, you see former head coaches take jobs as coordinators, and then you see them on the sidelines, and you're like, oh yeah, he's still around. Yeah. It's hard for me to believe where we see Rex on the sidelines, and just he's just not the same character that he was, and he's not making quotes in his weekly because he only has to do it once a week as a coordinator uh, gig. It's, uh, it, it would be interesting. Uh, finally, Easter Bunny right around the corner, and that means Peeps go. are going to be back on the shelves, and not just in marshmallow form. The company announcing that Peeps-flavored Pepsi will be hitting the shelves nationwide. Apparently, it was a limited release two years ago, and Peeps loyalists were furious when only 3,000 packages were made available. This year, you'll mm -hmm. be able to find them anywhere. Kyle, are you buying? Yeah, absolutely. I'll drink one right here in the basement. Uh, you mentioned Peeps loyal Loyalists. I am a Peeps Loyalist. I eat Peeps every Easter. I eat about one sleeve of them. I don't, sometimes they're pink, sometimes they're blue, sometimes they're yellow like the one we're seeing here. I, I feel very much like Peeps at Easter is how I feel about candy corn at Halloween. People detest it and people can't wait to tell you how much they detest it and yet they sell millions and millions of pounds of it every year. So who's buying them? Who's eating them? Me. I like things that are specifically just for one time a year. I like eggnog on Christmas. I like candy corn on Halloween. I like cranberries on Thanksgiving. And you better believe it, damn it, when it's Easter time, I'm gonna house a sleeve of Peeps. And now come to find out, I'm gonna try Peeps Pepsi. I wanna try it. It's one of these weird Franken foods that they sell you because they get the internet attention. But I will try it. I hopefully can try it right here if the sponsorships allow us to, or if they provide us one. Uh, Flynn, is there anything I'm missing here? I push back on me, am I an idiot? Is it disgusting? Because I can already tell you I don't care, but I, that doesn't mean that I'm right. I wouldn't call you an idiot. Uh, I am not a peeps person. <laughs> that that good that goes way way back. I remember as a kid getting that Easter basket, and there was one thing that was in there that was going to keep being in there until my mom threw it away, and that was the package of peeps. I think the same one for my brother. Uh, I just don't get them. Marshmallows are fine. Uh, peeps, yeah. no, I'm not digging into peeps. I'm not drinking a peeps flavored soda, Oreo, whatever they come out with next. Not a peeps person. Okay, I respect it. I, I'm not, I'm not going to judge you. I, I am practically a sommelier of Peeps. I can tell you that they're actually better if they're slightly stale because they're like a little bit texture is a little bit more chewy. Some people will microwave their Peeps for 10 seconds to make them extra gooey. I just eat them a la carte by themselves. I will do it. And I'll tell you what, while you were talking, I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I want to have a Peeps Pepsi with the little whiskey in it too. <laughs> I'm gonna go to a bar and say, can I get a Peeps, Pepsi and Jack? I will try that, I'll try them all. I respect where you're coming from, Flynn. And don't think for one second that I and the people did not notice that you are a regular Don Juan with the, with the roses over your right shoulder <laughs> in the beautiful vase and you clearly did that and then stunted on us for Valentine's Day. Look at you, congratulations, you did a great job, they're beautiful. I did. Thank you. It takes the attention away from the outdated kids artwork. I think yeah. there's, still a pumpkin. there's still a pumpkin behind me over there. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that, that draws your attention somewhere else.
You're a romantic guy and a great family guy. The long stem rose uh, of, of producers just, just blooms beautifully. Thank you, Flynn. I will see you on the flip side. We're gonna go away for a little while. I know that you are gonna be in the happiest place on earth too, but I don't think at the same time as me, right? No, I don't believe so. Too bad. All right, give me a scouting report on the, the Tron ride and all that other stuff that they got coming out. Uh, I will see you. I bid you adieu. I'm gonna throw a dart. Happy belated Valentine's Day. See you, Flynn. Great job today. Here we go, guys. Bring it in. Last one for a little while. This has been an epic episode of Kyle Brand Space, and I'm still thinking about those wolves and those rats. Those stupid internet debates. They're really like the lifeblood of this country at this point. I absolutely love it. Don't ever let anybody tell you that social media is all bad. We're talking about 10,000 rats versus five gorillas today. Today, the number is gonna be, that's a 12. That is in the little black wedge there at about 10 o'clock, and that is a 12. What is topic number 12? Most rewatchable TV show. Mm. It's not Breaking Bad, because I rewatched that recently and there's some stuff I found myself fast forwarding through, like most of the stuff with Skylar and all the stuff at her work and all that. I, I gotta, I, I, I have to go with The Sopranos. I, it's so stock and I'm sorry. And certainly there were um, episodes and sometimes late in the game, almost half seasons where it was slow and it dredged on and you're like, oh my God, can Paulie say something funny? But when it's great, it's so unbelievably good and the characters are so incredible and the dialogue is so good and the violence and the sex and it, it's just excellent. And I've said this before on the show that there's a, a crazy YouTube presence of The Sopranos where there's so many clips and any scene from any season, you can just type in a loose description of that scene and it'll come right up. Just that scene. Even scenes that aren't that big of a deal, they're all there for whatever reason. Uh, HBO and etc. do not tear them down. So I, I go down Sopranos wormholes all the time. We talked earlier about the Christopher's intervention scene. It's my favorite scene in the show, but I'll watch any of them. I'll watch the Joey Pants season. I like the Richie April stuff a lot. Um, I just love it. It's excellent. Sopranos. If you've never watched it, it gave birth to this great, incredible era of television. The reason we are watching things like The Last of Us right now is because of The Sopranos in the late 90s and it just changed the damn game and we bowed down to it. The Raquel Welch, the Raquel Welch of television shows, you might say. Guys, I'm taking off. I will send social media pictures from Parts Unknown down in warm places in Disney with a big old Mickey Mouse ice cream bar and cotton candy and like tons of whiskey and hopefully Peeps flavored Pepsi. Love you. See you later. I promise we'll see you on the flip side. In the meantime, escort yourself out through the garage. Close the door if you don't mind. Take it easy from the basement. <laughs>